This episode is brought to you by Case Filters. Look, I travel the world with my camera and I can use any photography filter I like, and I tried them all. In recent years, however, I've landed on Case Filters. That's Case with a K, K-A-S-E. Case Filters are made with premium materials, HD optical glass, shockproof, zero color cast, round and square filter designs, magnetic systems, filter holders, adapters, step-up rings, everything I need so I never miss a moment. And now my listeners can get a 10% off the Case Filters Amazon page when they visit beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and use the coupon code Burnaby10. That's beyondthelens.fm forward slash case and coupon code Burnaby10 for 10% off your Case Amazon order. Case Filters, capture with confidence. Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Lens, where I speak with inspiring people around the world about photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. Today, I'm joined by Ankur Wereku. Ankur is an entrepreneur, a teacher, content creator, and business mentor. He has 2.2 million subscribers to his YouTube channel, 1.8 million followers on Instagram, and, well, you get the idea. Encore founded the startup nearby.com and was its CEO from its inception in 2015 until 2019. And prior to that, Encore was the founding CEO of Groupon India. Today, he spends his time creating internet content, teaching online courses, mentoring first-time founders and entrepreneurs, as well as writing. Encore recently published his first book, Do Epic Shit, where he talks about his successes and failures, the importance of habits self-awareness, entrepreneurship, money, and relationships. You can think of it as a guide to living your best life. It was the number one bestseller in India, and it's been on the bestseller charts all over the world. Ankur joins us from Delhi, India. Please enjoy my conversation with Ankur Wariku. Ankur, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for having me. I, I have to start I, I did look up your work. I have, of course, gone through the podcast episodes. I've seen the quality of guests that you've invited. I have, frankly, no business of being here. So <laughs> as much as it will cause you embarrassment, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Your, your famous modesty coming through. <laughs> you know, I have to admit, I, I did buy your book um, solely on the title, Do Epic Shit. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't read any reviews. I had no idea. Um, who you were, honestly. And then I started reading it and it, it wasn't exactly what I thought of either, but I got that first, that first line in the introduction and that got me, that got me hooked. And I'm going to quote it here. This book may very well turn out to be the most useless book you will ever buy. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is going to be real. So, so <laughs> How is this the most useless book I'll ever buy? Because frankly, there's, there's nothing new in the book. We, I, I, I definitely rest on a lot of shoulders, Richard, and, and, and very few of my thoughts are original or, or something that I have experienced from first principles that I believe nobody else has thought of. Uh, and, and over the years of living my life as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a consultant, as a 
a boy who grew up wanting to be very different things from what he is doing right now. I've had so many varied experiences and have had a chance to reflect upon them. I thought, let me just document that in a book. It won't be anything new, but hopefully it'll be a good reminder for people of how life ultimately turns out to be for most of us. And the title of the book, Do Epic Shit. Where did that come from? Is that something like what publishers like to do? So I like to come up with a provocative title to get people to buy it, kind of like what happened with me. Or is this um, some kind of personal credo or motto? Yeah, there's a there's, there's a good backstory to that. So yeah, it's 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 the year 2012. I uh, I have a couple of uh, really close friends who are also fellow entrepreneurs. We became entrepreneurs around the same time in 2009. So in some way, we grew up together as entrepreneurs. And on my birthday that year, they were very kind enough to gift me this poster that said, do epic shit. And when I first saw it, I was like, hey, that's really cool. It's uh, it's, it's very symbolic. It's, it's very um, in the moment, contemporary, something that you would resonate with, but your parents perhaps would not. They would instead dismiss. And uh, I just put it up on my table and I just used to stare at it, glance at it almost every day. Uh, and the more that I did that, Richard, I realized that this is how... I have been living my life and would definitely want to live my life because I broke it down for myself. It's about do, which is action greater than thought. And I am an action-oriented person. I find myself very, very geared to taking action as against just pondering on my thoughts and not doing anything about it. It's epic in the sense that I always wanted to do something that's bigger than just my individuality, my own identity, or the orbit that I was born in. Uh, and it's shit in the sense that it's fun while you're doing it. You don't feel any stress. You don't feel the Monday blues. So it's about doing things that are larger than who you are while having fun doing it. So that has been my life motto, so as to say, for the last 10 odd years. And when my publisher was like, hey, what would you want to title the book? Uh, it was just very obvious that this is what I wanted to do. While she did a brilliant job of the packaging, and I think that the yellow stands out really well, the the size of the book makes it really comfortable and, and cute. Uh, but yeah, I'd agree that the the title really worked. Uh, and I'm just glad that I've been living this motto for the last 10 years for it to have happened easily to me. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk a, lo a lot about the book coming up. And we're going to focus on some of the more actionable takeaways. But first, um, a little bit about you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm an internet entrepreneur based out of India. I am 42 years of age. I live in my family of two kids and my wife in Delhi, which is the capital city of India. And I grew up mostly in India, except for a couple of years when I was in the US. I was actually doing my PhD from Michigan State University before I decided to drop out of it and take a complete U-turn in life from wanting to become an astrophysicist to now uh, God knows what. And in my uh, current avatar, I create content online, and that's across multiple platforms. I just share my experiences, whatever is it that I've learned being an entrepreneur for the last 12 odd years. I'm also running my next venture, which is in the space of education. So I'm running an online education company. Uh, and a third of my time goes towards uh, investing and mentoring first-time founders and, and just enjoying the journey along with them in some meaningful manner. So that's where I spend my time. Uh, in my uh, previous avatars, I founded the Groupon India business. 
for Groupon in 2011, did that for a couple of years and then was managing Groupon APAC, uh, completely sucked at it, realized I was a terrible leader and made <laughs> changes, post corrections. And then in 2015, I started my next venture, which was in the similar space as Groupon, but in a completely different avatar. And did that for four years before stepping down as the CEO in 2019, right before COVID struck. You've been very open, honest about your failures. You even published a failure resume. <laughs> enumerating your life's failures. Why did you do that? Particularly in the uh, culture that I've been raised, Richard, failure is not celebrated in India. Uh, or I would argue a large part of the Eastern culture where there is uh, a lot of social stigma attached to failing. It's not considered the, the good thing to do, definitely not to admit it, least of all experience it. And I realized that Failure is inevitable. It's something that we all experience. And it's frankly the best way for you to learn from and then make amendments and hopefully be successful at whatever is it that you, of course, corrected. Uh, but no one was talking about it. And uh, I remember this was, I believe, 2015 or 2016. I was browsing through the internet and I come across this uh, New York University professor, uh, Johannes Hashofer, who uh, came up with his resume of failures. And he was like, the, the resume is such a fascinating document because it often speaks about the best things that you've done in life and it tom-toms about all the accomplishments, but it never speaks about all the failures that got you to the spot. Mm -hmm. And so he created his failure resume, which was all the tenures that he didn't make and all the publications that refused him and so on. And I was fascinated by that. So in 2016, I, I wrote my own form of it. And frankly, I didn't expect what to make of it when I did publish it. But when I did, I was just blown away by how many people found solace in that failure resume. Because until then, I was like this super cool entrepreneur who possibly has done never any wrong. And now I was this real person in front of them, not Superman with run red underpants over his trousers. So <laughs> I was a very, very real person for them. And uh, that just broke the barrier. And I've loved talking about the failure because I've had my own moments to reflect upon them. I am proud of where they've taken me, how much they've taught me. And if I can, in some meaningful fashion, speak about it and make it okay for people to also experience it and hopefully speak about it at some point, that'll be a brilliant dent that I can make. So now I'm going to make you do something that you're probably a little uncomfortable with. So no talk of failures. I want you to list some of your professional and personal successes. I... Uh... You're I think pain. my biggest professional success. <laughs> I my, my biggest professional success, Richard, is that I have lived life on my own terms, and thankfully, life has worked out for me beautifully, um, both financially, socially, professionally, psychologically, because uh, that's really, really hard. Uh, like when I look at your work, I I admire what you've done and how how brilliant you are at that but it also very clearly shows how much you love what you do and it isn't work for you while it is work for a lot of other people uh, and I get to play that same role when I do everything that I do people are like oh my god how do you even do it because that's like intense work you seem to be always on social media 24 7 and you're also writing this newsletter writing this book then running this podcast and you're also running your own company and then you're going for these off-sites and you also go for these talks do you have like 48 hours in a day? And I'm like, it sounds like work to you, but it isn't, which is 
the most magical thing about what I do. So yeah, there have been awards and accolades and recognitions and acknowledgements along the way, but I, I don't think any one of them would ever measure up to how I feel when I wake up every day living my life because I'm just mm. so in awe of what I get to experience every day. And it's such a privilege and such a blessing that I wouldn't trade that for anything else. Sorry, it's not the answer that you were hoping for, but it That's is the answer. answer. And thank you for the, the compliments. Um, yeah, people see the on the outside, you know, you're living this dream and in many ways I am, but they also don't see all the work that's going on to get to this point and what's going on behind the scenes, not to mention uh, uh, the failures. There's many failures that help get me to where I am where help get you to where you are. And maybe that's the brilliance of publishing your failure resumes to put it out there. So your, your book is broken down in, into six sections. We have success and failure, habits, awareness, entrepreneurship, money, and relationships. Some of these topics like relationships, we can kind of skip over since it really doesn't fit into the scope of this podcast, but there's one where I especially want to drill down further, and that is entrepreneurship. The reason why we have a lot of photographers and artists listening. Many are hobbyists and they want to convert their love and their passion into a profession. So the words that come out of their mouths are something like, I want to do what I love as a profession, just like what you were just talking about. I want to pursue my passion. I want to make a living at it. I want to go pro. But what they're really saying is, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to run a business. And many of them are woefully ill-equipped to do so. And they fail for that reason. Not because they were bad photographers or artists. They're bad entrepreneurs. They had no idea how to start and run a business. So I would definitely categorize starting your own business as doing some epic shit. Wouldn't you agree? I would 100%. I, I, would, I would in fact say this uh, with, uh, with all honesty, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Uh, and uh, we live in an age where entrepreneurship is really cool. It's applauded. It's uh, acknowledged to the extent that a lot of people who have jobs feel that they are the lesser ones and suddenly doing a nine to five is not the cool thing anymore, which is so crazy because that isn't true. Uh, I, I do believe that one needs to be very self-aware before they make the decision to become an entrepreneur, because it will very rarely be about that one thing that you are truly passionate about. It will actually be an amalgamation of multiple moving parts some of which you may be completely ill-equipped to do, some of which you would never want to do in your life, and only a few of you would be up your alley and playing to your strengths. But getting all of that synchronized is a humongous task that, as you rightly pointed out, Richard, most people do not realize before they take the plunge and they only do much later, which mm -hmm. they should have up front. You, you had a podcast it was like a nine or 10 minute segment and you did yes. something called reasons not to become an entrepreneur. Yes. Can you discuss some of those reasons why people shouldn't become an entrepreneur or what, you know, hurdles or what problems they, they might encounter in becoming an entrepreneur? Sure. These are three often quoted reasons of why people want to become an entrepreneur, which I believe are the wrong reasons to do so. Number one, they want to become an entrepreneur because they want to make money. Uh, and, and that, 
that often kills me because the probability of you making money as an entrepreneur is so bismally poor that you are better off buying a lottery ticket than to actually become an entrepreneur and hope for money. We look at the success, so it's massive survivorship bias. We read the news and the media about all the unicorns and all the people making a gazillion dollars through their podcast, through their passion, through their work. But we never really read about those who never made it. And those will be 99% of those who tried. So don't become an entrepreneur for the money. It's a brilliant side effect of your success, but don't make it the core reason. You are far likelier to make money and be immensely financially successful in a job than starting up. Hmm. Number two, don't become an entrepreneur if you hate your current life. And that's not just for entrepreneurship. It's true for anything. Don't do anything just to escape your current life because then that's just you running from one pillar to another, hoping that the other one is the redemy of everything that you have to fix in your life. And, and that needn't be true. It could be, but then that's just luck. And number three, often quoted today, especially in youngsters, don't become an entrepreneur just because everyone else is becoming one. You feel FOMO, you feel the fear of missing out and you believe you're the only one who's stuck in a job and you're the loser and everyone there is winning and killing it. Uh, those are almost always the, the wrong reasons to do so. Uh, and that's what I shared in the podcast that you listen to. Do you think everyone has the ability to be successful as an entrepreneur or is this something you're born with or not born with? Is it nature or nurture? No, it, it, it's certainly not nature. It is, it is definitely not a skill that people are born with. I believe it's something that's nurtured, something that you grow into. And it's a combination of multiple things. The people that you hang out with, the kind of um, counsel that you seek, the, uh, the ability to lower down your ego and become a student. Uh, all of these are, are very important. The tenacity, the perseverance, the patience, uh, so many moving parts. But yeah, it's certainly not something that people are born with. And why is entrepreneurship the most brutal way to find out about yourself? I love that. Thank you. The, uh, so this is a quote that I had it in the book. Entrepreneurship is actually the most brutal way to find out about yourself because when you become an entrepreneur, and this often happens with very smart people, very well-meaning people who have done extremely well in life thus far, nobody cares who you are. Um, nobody has ever bought a product or a service from a company because their founders went to the best institutions or they scored a grades or that they are going through a really tough life, they're going through a divorce, they're going through a breakup, and, and that's why you have pity on them, or they haven't drawn a salary for the next last six months, and you're like, oh, why don't I help them? Nobody cares a fuck. And that is why it is so hard hitting when, despite everything that you've done in life that's gotten you to that point, nothing of that matters when you start up. It's like, are you building something that people care about and are willing to pay for? If not, you're dead meat. And I couldn't care less whether you went to Stanford or you were an egg four-pointer or you had the worst life building this thing up and you really need to make it work. I couldn't care less. Uh, and most people are not ready for that. They aren't because they're so used to life working out for them based what they have done so far in life that uh, this level of democratic feedback is something that they are not used to. And then that just throws them off guard. What type of advice would you give a hobbyist, let's say a photography hobbyist or enthusiast who wants to make that enthusiasm or that passion 
his or her profession, essentially become in the process an entrepreneur? It's a, it's a three-step process for me. Uh, and I, I, I believe that a hobbyist or someone who has an existing passion is already at an advantage because they know what they could convert into a profession. They just don't have the journey to make that happen. And, and here are three steps that I believe could help. Number one, do not disregard the power of financial stability. So if you have a job right now, don't be foolish and listen to idiotic self-help advice that will tell you quit your job, follow your passion, live your life. That's, that's impractical. It's senseless. It doesn't take into regard the realities of the world. I have a very different opinion, despite being an entrepreneur and endorsing it. Stay in your job. As long as it doesn't affect you physically, emotionally, mentally, stay in your job and get that paycheck because that pays for the bills. And what it does is something you may not recognize is important. It does not put the pressure on your passion to make money from day one. You get time to hone your passion and actually become really good at it. So stick to your job and have something pay the bills while step number two, you call out as much time as you can, your nights, your days, your weekends, your holidays, whatever time you can call out from your job without hampering your job, devoted towards your passion. That becomes your side gig. It becomes something that drives you. And there are so many people who are able to do that and do a brilliant job on that. And while you're doing that, begin to share and open yourself up to feedback from the world. We're living in a world where, frankly, there was a time almost five, 10 years back when you needed a distribution to win on the internet. But today in the world of TikTok and Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts, your first content piece could hit a million views. And it doesn't require you to be this 10-year producer of content to have gotten this point. Like literally anybody who picks up an art, a passion, anything that they are deeply interested in can fight the likes of Richard and Ankur despite their social following on day one itself. And that's brilliant because it just keeps everybody on their toes and it democratizes the quality that is throwing out onto the media. So please share your content. Don't do it for the money because you already have something paying for the bills. Just do it for the joy of it and to improve, keep improving, keep improvising, keep learning, keep looking at that feedback. And step number three, slowly but steadily, start unlocking monetary values from your passion. You don't have to replace your salary as yet. You don't have to earn as much or more than what you're earning right now on day one itself. It could be a one to two year journey, perhaps even longer. But that's nothing in a 40-year cycle of you working because if you are able to navigate to your passion becoming your profession in two to three years, it's a gift you can give yourself. So most people falter, Richard, in my opinion, because they know that this is their passion. They want to make it into a profession, but they're always in a hurry to do so. And the reality that at least I have learned in life is that good things take time. So you have to be patient. And if you allow yourself that patience, then you will only thank yourself after those two, three years when your profession will be earning just as much as your day job. And at that point of time, feel free to kick your day job off and just do everything that you've been doing. So one of the biggest, I see the biggest and most consequential decisions I made in my life was the one where I decided to give up a very good job 
a well-paying job. I didn't take your advice from the way I went cold turkey and, uh, and go pro and become a full-time working photographer. That worked out for me. In the awareness section of your book, you describe three steps for the best mental model for taking tough decisions in life. And I'm going to go ahead and enumerate those for you. <laughs> Number one, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Number two, close your eyes and vividly imagine it happening. The worst thing that is. And number three, ask yourself, will I be okay? Mentally, socially, financially, physically, emotionally. And if yes, go for it. Can you describe an example in your life where you went through that exact process? And then how did that decision turn out? Thanks for referring to this. I, uh... I love this mental model because it's helped me immensely in several occasions in life. The one that I can recollect is uh, the most recent one, which was at the end of 2019. I was running a very successful startup. It was really well-funded. We were doing well in it. We were profitable. Everything was going absolutely great guns. There was a lot of respect in the community, in the ecosystem. So I had frankly no reason to even consider stepping down. But I felt that I had paid my dues, I'd been in that industry for eight to nine years, I'd built a terrific team, I was really proud of the culture we'd built. And I decided to take a break to figure out what I wanted to do next. When you've been an entrepreneur for the last 10 to 12 years, you've essentially closed doors on a job. Not because no one would hire you, because, but you don't want to work in a job anymore. You, you don't even see yourself working in a job, irrespective of how hard entrepreneurship has been. You just can't fathom working for somebody else. So that wasn't the option. And the option was for me to start up again, but I didn't have any idea. I didn't have a sense of what I should be doing, could be doing. And I asked myself the same question that you just described. One was, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? And the worst thing that can happen is I may not find another idea that's exciting enough. And I will not have an income stream because all my wealth until then was just attached to the equity of the company that I had founded. I hadn't liquidated any of my equity to create cash or actual wealth for myself and my family. So I had to rely on an income stream. And I went ahead and vividly imagined what that would mean. And what that would mean is the only big financial liability that we have as yet is the mortgage that we have on our house. And I spoke to my wife and I was like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And she loved it. She's like, I, I think that's a great thing. You should definitely consider stepping down and, and thinking what you could do next. And I was like, but what if it doesn't happen? I'm just vividly imagining the fact that we're running out of our bank balance and we have bills to pay. The biggest one of that is the, is the mortgage that we have to pay for our home loan. How do we go about that? And in almost tandem, both of us said, we'll just sell the house and we'll just move to the mountains. We'll homeschool our kids. We have two of them. We'll become teachers in some local school there. We'll just have a nice, happy life. We have each other. We wouldn't have any dues. We would be absolutely clear of all liabilities. And the minute I'm just blessed to have a wonderful wife that, that thinks alike because it's, it's just so rare and, and such a privilege, but the minute we got to that point, Richard, it was, it was a very different sense of courage that came through because now it's like I have solved for the worst case and I'm totally okay for the worst case to happen. So from now on, anything that were to happen 
would only be a bonus. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that things worked out and we never got to that point. But even if we had to, we had complete agreement that that is what we would end up doing and not regret doing it. I think we might give fear far too much magnitude when making a big decision. Probably subconsciously, the um, the what can go wrongs are usually not nearly as bad as our fears want them to be. Once we really study, visualize, and meditate on them, do you agree with that? Do you think fear, uh, or at least the, the 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 what can go wrongs, keep us from making that bold decision or uh, keep us from doing epic shit? One hundred percent. As Seneca famously said, we we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. Uh, and it's so true of the human mind. Uh, all the constructs that we have around what could possibly go wrong uh, paralyze us far more than in reality they would. Uh, in fact, the worst thing that we imagine for ourselves is very rarely the worst thing that can happen um, because we'll still be alive. We'll still have hopefully our, our hands and our legs and our minds and our eyes and our senses moving and acting. Um, but we we just so scared of losing the social identity that we have, the construct of our own identity that we belong, whether it's financial, whether it's social, whether it's even relationships, what have you, um, that we uh, we paralyze ourselves. And, and I often say this, and this has been a, a big realization in my life, Richard, we are more scared of losing something if we don't know how we got it in the first place, because we don't know how to get it again. Right. It almost happened as if luck happened. It's almost as if this was destiny. Something just fell into our laps and we just got lucky. That's why we will always fear losing that relationship with that partner because we don't know whether we will get as good a partner again or not. We fear losing this job because we don't know whether we will get this good a job or not. We fear losing this money because we don't know how to make this kind of money ever again. And if if you can build your life in a way where you could be rich, famous, happy, successful, whatever is your parameter of success, 99% of the times, if you were to be reborn in some parallel universe, you're home. You would very rarely feel fear because you know how to get it again. And Mm. that's beautiful. You mentioned Seneca. I can't help but bring up the old Stoic tradition, um, very similar to what we've been talking about. It's called the premeditation of evils in the old uh, Stoic tradition of philosophy. What is the worst thing that can go wrong? The absolute worst. Study it, visualize it, feel it in your bones, understand what it looks and tastes like. And now you've removed some of that surprise and the fear. You've prepared yourself for the worst if it happens. And you've quoted Seneca. I'm going to quote Seneca now. The man who has anticipated the coming of troubles takes away their power when they arrive. So that's one way to deal with fear. Are there any other methods to, I'm not going to say eliminating fear, but rather managing fear or rational fear, particularly when it comes to making bold decisions like career changing decisions? I often go back to just pure, simple questions. I'm a student of questions, and I believe that most of us suffer from whatever it is that we do because we very rarely question our own selves. Um, So I, I love the the five wise approach, which is very simplistic in its, uh, in its definition, but very powerful in its execution. Just ask yourself five whys. So you start with, hey, I'm scared of losing my job. Why? Well, I will not have any money and that's not a good thing. Why? 
because I have bills to pay and I won't be able to do that. Well, what happens if you don't pay those bills? Well, something happens, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Why you think you, you can't get over that? Why don't you sell what you have as a liability? And you, you just keep going down that path. What happens is not often the solution to your situation, but an understanding instead of your motivations. And that is at least personally fascinating for me because the more I get to know my own self, full of my strengths, my weaknesses, my inadequacies, my insecurities, and everything that comes along, the more I'm just comfortable with whatever is happening with me because I can explain it now. And that just makes it so much better. So for me, fear is just a manifestation of what the human mind is supposed to do. Warn me of danger. And the minute I myself recognize the danger, the human mind is like, oh, awesome. You already know the danger. Great. I don't have any job to do anymore. I, I can go back to chill. Right. And, and it just leaves. It just magically leaves. And it's really hard to describe that until you've actually experienced it in your life. And I have so many times where I would just tell my mind, I'm aware of this danger. You don't have to induce fear. And the fear will not come. Or even if it came in, it will just go away because it knows that its purpose has been served. So I'll go down the questioning path. What am I scared of? Why am I angry? Why am I feeling jealous? Why do I fear this? And the more I question, the better I get to know about myself and manage this. The five whys. Never heard that before. It's great. Whys. Yeah. And speaking of fear, there's also um, something from the book we procrastinate not because of laziness, but because of fear. How does fear lead to procrastination? Because at some point we are fearful of what would happen if we were to undertake this and it doesn't end up the way we imagined. We are fearful that our work will not be appreciated. We are fearful we will not be able to do the work itself. We are fearful that if we do, it will fail. We are fearful that if we pick this up, we will lose out on something else because of the fear of missing out. We are fearful that we're not even capable of doing it and we will realize it when we start doing it. There are multiple reasons why we tend to procrastinate, just keep kicking the can further down the road because we just don't want to face our own selves and, and sit with our own self-awareness that, oh my God, this is the real reason. Yeah. And, uh, and people often say that I'm procrastinating because I'm lazy. But it, again, if I were to ask the five whys, and I often do to others who suggest this or even to myself if I feel it, and it's just very obvious to me, I'm just scared of something that will happen if I pick this up. And, and that's why I don't. And every time that I don't feel scared or I don't have a resident fear inside of me, I just sense no procrastination. Because even if the work doesn't go as per plan, even if I hate what I did or I'm not proud of it, I will still end up doing it because there was no resident fear in me of how it shows up. I can't think of a more crippling habit for entrepreneurs than procrastination. Yeah. Do you have a remedy for procrastination? I mean, we all, we all procrastinate to some degree. Do you have a way to, to, to take action or a way to, to propel yourself to take action and not kick the can down the road, as you say? I think there are two kinds of people in the world and they have, in my opinion, different approaches that they could take to procrastination. One, I would call the, 
the organized ones. The organized ones are the ones who, who love a routine, who love a schedule, who, who don't mind being fit into this structure because they like structure. And for those, if you tend to procrastinate, the surest way of getting out of it is to actually commit yourself to a routine and just to become a student of that routine. It works magically. So if you are a person of order, if you are a person who loves structure, building a routine is the magical way of beating procrastination because you will almost become, in a good way, a slave to the routine. And the routine will take care of you as against your mind convincing you that you should do that and you want to do that. And that works for me. I'm that kind of person. So for me, whenever I tend to procrastinate, I just go back to, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do in the day. And I got to do it because that's my routine. That's my commitment to my own self. And I love to stick to that. And the routine just works. So going back to one of those quotes in the book, and the, the pro is the amateur that showed up every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that for me is, is basically just routine. It's despite you loving it, not loving it, hating it, not wanting to do it. You just show up every day. Just show up every day. And if you were to do that, you will work through your weaknesses. You will work through your inadequacies. You will work through everything that's hindering your path. And, and you will become a pro eventually. But not everyone is a person of structure. So the other side, which is people who don't want to force themselves into a box or a structure or a routine, I often say this just break down the task into as trivial, smaller units as you can. So if you, let's say, are looking for a job, or as we discussed, you are, say, living with a hobby or passion that you want to convert into a profession. When you look at that big goal, converting your hobby into a profession, that sounds really audacious. It sounds overwhelming. And you would not want to climb up that mountain because it's just so steep and so high up. Don't care about that end goal. Don't even visualize that. Don't even go for that. Think of the smallest first step that you can take that will get you out of the position that you are in right now. The smallest. It needn't be the most meaningful one. It needn't be a critical one, but it's the smallest step that you can take to get yourself out of that position. I often say this. If you are, for example, looking for a job and you just feel, oh my God, I'm not getting it. I've been rejected in so many interviews, so on and so forth. Like what's the smallest thing you can do to get yourself out of the position that you're in right now? Make a small change to your resume. Like it's, it's trivial to the extent that it's laughable, but trust me, that's progress because it gets you out of wherever you are from a mental makeup perspective. Send a cold email to a potential recruiter. Apply to another job, but do it slightly differently than how you've done it before. These small steps build up because every time that you're stuck, just take the smallest possible step to get out of it. And you would never then be victim, if I would use that word of procrastination, you would, you'd actually keep doing things in a way that you'll be surprised at the end of time uh, how far you've come along. Habits and using habits is a common theme in the book. Creating habits, I'm talking about good habits, can be powerful catalyst to creating positive change, learning, self-improvement, many things. Can you explain how setting goals for yourself might not be the best idea, but instead setting habits could be? In life, we are told to be successful, you've got to have a plan. And everyone is directed towards having a plan. Everyone's forced to having a plan. Everyone is made to believe that if you don't have a plan, you will never succeed. And plans are, are great, but in my opinion, they're limiting because plans often turn into goals and targets. And 
here's my realization. Often our goals or targets are simply desires. They're not really goals and targets. So I desire to have a car and I'll make it into a goal and target and put an unnecessary deadline on top of it. I desire to own a house. I'll make it into a goal on a target and I put an unnecessary timeline to it. What happens because of that is when we hit it, if we hit it, we feel great about ourselves, but we don't know if we could have hit a bigger goal or target or perhaps done it sooner. If we don't hit it, we blame ourselves, but we don't know whether we were never set out to hit that goal or target in the first place because of several reasons. We weren't capable, we weren't working hard enough or whatnot. Maybe there were externalities that were not in our favor. Neither of these two emotions of being exuberant when you hit a goal or feeling shitty about yourself if you don't are in my opinion valid because you had no basis to come up with that goal or target in the first place. It was simply a desire that you converted into a goal and target and put a deadline on. Instead, if you marry yourself into habits, so don't set goals, but set habits, a way of doing things, a way of looking at the world, a way of routine that you're just so committed to that it becomes a way of life and you don't have to dispense energy in even thinking about it. It's like brushing your teeth. If it becomes a habit, which it is for a lot of people, you don't think actively about brushing your teeth whenever you do. You just do it. It's almost like subconscious. It's like breathing. And that's where you want to get to, whether it's reading, whether it's meditating, whether it's sending cold emails to people, whether it's practicing your hobby, whether it's doing whatever is it that you wish to create a habit. And when you do that, habits compound. Habits compound in a way that the human mind finds it very hard to comprehend. And that's why we always tend to think linear and not in an exponential fashion, but they compound. And when they do, you tend to, at least my life is a living example of that, you tend to hit milestones that you could never have imagined for yourself, even in your wildest dreams. It takes time, certainly, but you end up in a far, far, far better place than you could have ever set for myself. And I often uh, say this, if you'll allow me a couple of minutes here. Of course. Um, it's like when, when I came back from the US at the age of 24, I dropped out of my PhD program. I had zero direction, no clue of what I would be doing. I've spoken about that in the book as well. Uh, and and if, if someone came up to me and is like, hey, Ankur, I'm, I'm, I'm from 2022 and I'm, uh, I'm a time traveler and uh, congratulations, time travel has been invented. And, and that's something that you were really excited as a physics student. So it's, it's happened. And I want to tell you about uh, what you will be doing in 2022. In 2022, you'll have uh, 7 million people following you on something called social media, which hasn't come out as yet, but it's a really cool thing. You would have written a best-selling book. You would be the best-selling author of the country. You'd be invited by top educational institutions and top companies to speak to their students and their employees, motivate them. You'd be running your own startup. You'd be earning a lot of money. You'd be living life on your own terms. And I would frankly turn to that person and say, get a CT scan, my friend. <laughs> Because you're out of your mind. That shit is not going to happen. Because there was nothing, nothing that I think I could have done or set out for or made a plan for to get me to the point that I am here in life right now. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'm here just as an outcome of my habits, not because I'm the smartest person I know, the most hardworking person I know of, any of the special attributes that people would think I have. But no, I'm just like any other person listening in. 
but I married myself to habits as against goals and targets. So if you were to ask me that quintessential corporate interview question, where do you see yourself five years from now? My answer is, I don't know. And I'm mm -hmm. totally okay with that. I have no idea where I will be five years from now. Forget everything. I, I don't know where I will be a year from now. And I'm totally okay with that. Because I know that I can reinvent myself if I were to find myself in a situation where I don't like what I'm doing. That's very similar to... Um adage when you're trying to learn whether it be photography or painting or whatever it may be is focus on the process and not the results Yes, because you can't always control the results but you can control the process that that those habits that you do every single day and then the results will take care of themselves right so true absolutely true so you mentioned seven million followers <laughs> You have 1.8 million followers on instagram 2.2 million subscribers to youtube half a million Twitter followers, and it goes on and on and on. You have a huge following in social media. Do you have any habits for posting as far as frequency or any types of schedule of when certain content goes out? I'm really lucky, Richard, that I became a content creator after having run startups for the last 10 odd years, because I think of this not as a side gig or something that's creative or something that's uh, very driven by my mood at that moment. I think of it like a business and a company and I run it like, so everything is automated and structured. Like there is a process which I speak about when I do just bewilders people. They're like, oh my God, you're running it like you is really mean business. And I'm like, I do. Why would I not run it like that? So there is a, there is a, task that everyone in my team is assigned. We track it on project management software. We know exactly what everyone has to do by when to what quality expectations. I have my own creative time blocked in. So for example, on Mondays, I do all my shoots for my videos. So everything that goes out over the next week will be shot on that day itself. I'm in that zone. I just go into that mode, eight hours, just go in, come out and don't think of anything else. And everything is a two week cycle. So everything is planned at least four weeks in advance and as a two week production cycle. And we publish 63 unique pieces of content every week wow. across uh, five platforms. And the only reason why we're able to do that is because everything is a process. For me, creativity is a process and, and that's the only way we've been able to do that. What is your superpower? And how, how do you suggest other people find what their superpower is? The way to do that, and, and I struggle to answer that because I don't think I know the answer to my own superpower. But if I were to take a guess of how one would find that out, or I would want to, is one, I would not put the pressure of time on discovering it. I'm not supposed to find my superpower when I'm 18 or 20 or 22. I could, but it's not that I'm Superman and I have to find it at birth. I could take my time to find it out because life's long, it's beautiful, and you will have enough and more opportunities to build on your superpower the day you realize it. But when I say that, I also have this admission that our superpower is not something that's lying somewhere waiting to be discovered. It's not hiding somewhere. So when people say, hey, what's your superpower? What's your passion? What's your strength that sets you apart from people. I often think that it's something that you build. So I will build or grow my superpower. 
which could start from a seed at some point of time in your life, could be very early on, could be late in life, doesn't matter. And then you keep honing it, honing it because it comes naturally to you. So if I were to take a guess, my superpower would be the ability to know myself completely and be comfortable with who I am. Um, because that's something that I've been able to do for years now, while I grew up as someone who used to struggle to do that. And I always fell for the identity that I think people had for me. This is beautiful quote by philosopher Cooley that says, I, I, am, I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. And I love that quote because all of us believe that there is a certain image that others have of us. And we have an image of what people's image is of us. And that's the identity we continue to live with, which was the case with me for the longest time um, until today, where I would say, I, I, I don't care about what people think of me, know of me, say about me. Um, all that I know is I know myself thoroughly. And that I believe is my superpower. And it's grown over years. I haven't found it one fine day. The man is Ankur Waraku. The book is Do Epic Shit. Where can people find the book, Ankur? Amazon? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon uh, all across the, the, the world. Uh, and yeah, that's where they'll find it. It's where I got my copy, Amazon. Yeah. So go out and get the book, folks. You'll want to read it many times over. I've got my copy right here in my hands. It's uh, been highlighted. It's been underlined. You can find Ankur on, on Twitter at Waraku, that's at W-A-R-I-K-O-O, and Instagram at Ankur Waraku. Ankur, I can't thank you enough for stopping by and imparting your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. Your questions were very thoughtful, made me think. Thanks a lot for having me. It's genuinely a pleasure. And I've read somewhere you have a second book you're working on. It is due December 17th this year. Well, maybe when that second book comes out, we can have you on again. We could talk about that one too. I would love to do that. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thank you to my guest, Ankur Waraku, for a fascinating conversation. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. Tweet me at Burnaby Photo with any suggestions or feedback. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and a rating on Spotify or wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts. I would love to hear what you think about the show and what you would like to see from Beyond the Lens in the future. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Here's to truth, adventure, and passion. See you next time. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com.